Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. everybody. I am live here on LinkedIn and I'm also multicasting across Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube. So thank you for joining me today. I'm excited about today's broadcast. We have a lot for you today as we venture into the topic of employee advocacy and personal branding, how they can work magically and beautifully together if done right, and sometimes how they clash and cause a lot of friction. So today we're gonna have our usual segments. We have the soup. We're gonna look at an article that talks about the topic that's trending across the internet right now. And then of course, we'll have the 15 minute coach where I will explore the topic. And in this situation, we're gonna speak to leaders and brands. I'll have six questions for you to think about as you're going through your marketing journey and looking at how you position your personal brand and brands, how you leverage employee advocacy to expand your reach. Then we'll have the deep dive. And the deep dive is where we go deeper into the topic. It's typically where we have a guest. I want to shout out John Graham Jr. who was watching probably from his bedside because he's not feeling well today and he wasn't able to come on, but you're going to hear from John anyway. So stay tuned for that. And then we'll wrap. So why don't we get going? So I found this article, Why Your Company's Employees Should Become Advocates on Social Media. And it appeared in the Business to Community website in the digital and social social section. So they give a few reasons, you know, Employees can be thought leaders, and we've seen this. We see this from the executive suite mostly, but we're seeing more and more people in middle management and even in the rank and file that are actually contributing to great conversations online. And, you know, they're actually contributing to the community. And, you know, in social media, community is built around content. That's just the way it goes. Shared content, shared values, it com- it creates creates community. And this is how you build your community online. So there is a great argument for leveraging employees. One, it's, it's relatively free. You don't have to pay them like you would influencers. Um, But you know what? There's the rub. (laughs) It is something that you have to opt into and agree to and make sure that your employer knows that you have opted in and agreed to it. It should not be forced which some companies don't get. And we'll talk about that soon too. The other thing, thought leaders grow professional networks. So as you're out there as an employee and you're sharing, um, and it doesn't have to be company branded news, and we'll talk about that too. In fact, you need to be cautious about that. You need to be sharing information that your community and your network can use and see it as useful. 
that's going to bring in more people in your network that want to hear this kind of information and see this kind of information. Most of us are used to on LinkedIn, just having the friends, the colleagues, the people that we know from past jobs to be a part of our communities. But you'll find that those aren't necessarily the ones that will engage with the content that is based on your target. And we'll examine what that's about. You know, you really need to be intentional about the audience you're trying to reach. Otherwise, you can alienate parts of your community. Well, ultimately, they say it's a win-win for both the company and the employee, okay? And sometimes companies don't see it that way unless you're constantly posting branded content. And that is actually a really great way to alienate your community. Um, we'll talk about it in the 15-minute coach, but there are times when you can share, share, share branded content and you might be getting a great response, but you might notice that they're all your colleagues at your company. And ultimately, employee advocacy should be there, not just to increase loyalty to the brand, people who would actually buy from your brand, but also talent acquisition. And if that's one of the goals, if you're only hearing from your colleagues, have you really met your goal? So it's something to think about. That's the soup. Employee advocacy and your brand. Again, it can work together magically if both sides do it right. If you don't, it can clash. Let's talk about it. So for brands, they're finding more effective and authentic ways to expand their reach. And this is one of them. People believe in people like them. And that's especially true on social media, but this expands to offline as well. So if you have very lofty executives always carrying your message, you might want to think again. We're going to raise that question a little later. But brands also know that employee reach is far greater than their own. They can only reach so many people on their brand handles. So if company A is tweeting from their company A handle, they can only reach those followers who follow them. It's just one brand. But the great multiplier is the employee base. And let's say you have 10 employees. If everybody is tweeting and they're using your hashtag and they're sharing good thought leadership that is useful to their community by association, that has expanded your reach by tenfold. And if it's like LinkedIn, where if you share and someone engages with it, that someone's network actually sees it too, and so on and so on and so on. So you can see that employees are a great multiplier and they're also very inexpensive. You don't have to go paying a lot of influencers, but you are leveraging the influence of your employees. So let's look at the numbers. I'm gonna keep going here. The data is pretty clear. Edelman's trust barometer a couple of years ago pointed out that people trust employee content more than they trust the information and messages from the brand handles and even top executives. So if you have your CEO, your C-levels, whoever, tweeting or sharing, be aware. I mean, it's good that they do that, but be aware 
that you have to put a double dose of authenticity on it because people are suspect of folks who are at that level. They're already thinking, well, they're bought, they're paid for it, they're making millions of dollars, maybe thousands and thousands of dollars, but still, they expect that message from a C-level executive. It's kind of like advertising versus public relations. People expect a message to come from paid advertising because you paid for the space, right? But they don't necessarily expect an influencer, say like a media journalist, a member of the media or a journalist to be spouting your message because they know you didn't pay for it. You might've influenced them to do so by the newsworthiness of it, but that influencer in and of itself, of themselves, ensures that that message reaches more people. It's the same way on social media. If you leverage influencers to get your message across, it expands your reach. Then think about it, eight times more engagement from employees than even from your brand handle that comes from a Cisco um, survey that they did a couple of years ago. Eight times more engagement. That means that people who trust other people like them or more apt to engage in conversation, likes, tweets, reshares with their peers, employees, just like them, then they will a brand. Again, it's like advertising. It's paid space. People expect it. So they don't think it may be necessarily real. It has a little bit more credibility and carries a little bit more weight if it comes from an employee. And that more reach means that that message travels much, much further. I gave you an example. If you have a company with 10 employees, that's 10X based on your handle, right? Now think about large enterprises that have thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. And even if their management ranks are the only ones that are sharing it, more than 561%. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're interested in that study, I'll share that with you later offline. Just, just reach out to me and I'll share it. But the data actually shows that it's important to get your employees out there sharing. But what should they share? You have to take on a new mindset. It's very important. We have a lot of companies out there that are <clears throat> a little bit older than say the Facebooks, the Googles, the ones that were actually birthed in this digital age, <clears throat> pardon me. They were birthed in the digital age. Some of them are already social media platforms, so they got it before some of these older companies did. So we have some of these older companies applying the old ways to employee advocacy, especially in the digital sphere, and it's not quite working. It requires that brands no longer look at these as separate or at war with one another. And I'm talking about the employee advocacy and the personal brands. They have to work together to increase the magic. That's when the magic happens. And <clears throat> it's actually a win-win. People ask me all the time, shouldn't I be branding when I am tweeting on behalf of my company? And I ask them, should you be? Now, if it's a branded handle or even your LinkedIn profile, where you can easily click, click on the profile and see that you are employed at company X. Research has shown that even that is the glow up for your company. <clears throat> the idea is that you are sharing thoughtful, 
useful, insightful, great content. And the good news is it gives shine to the company too. And that's what a lot of the industrial companies aren't quite getting just yet. They're coming along, but a good indication is that they're using these platforms like Social, Chorus, and others, and they aren't paying for this, to share and have their employees share on these uh, platforms, but they're pumping out branded company news only. Let's talk about that some more. So, I have six questions for you to consider for employee advocacy and personal brands to coexist in harmony. You know, coaching really isn't about giving advice. It really is about asking the probing questions to get you to think about the answers inside of you because you are grounded in what you do. You know your story as a personal brand. You should know your value proposition. If you are a brand, you should know your brand and your story inside and out. And so these questions should pull on that and your expertise and you will come to the right answer. So brands, question number one is for you. If your employees are sharing positive, accurate, thought leadership, how does that reflect on your brand? Well, I gave you a hint early on. I won't answer this for you, but how could you go wrong? Maybe we should ask that question. They've signed your policy, your social media policy. They are experts and they are actually doing the work inside of your company. How is that going to hurt you? Think about that. Or will it hurt you? You might benefit from it. In fact, research says that you will. For leaders, and I call everyone who is in the workplace a leader because you are. You don't have to have a lofty title. Leaders come in all shapes, forms, and fashions. And leaders can lead from the back of the room. They can lead in a second level role. You can be a leader. Let's ask you this question. What is the worst thing that can happen? And can you plan for it? Brands, how is leaning in on your top executives only to handle all the thought leadership working out for you. And here's the deal. Most of them are very, very busy. So they end up, if they do it at all, leaning in on their corporate communications team. And the corporate communications team, can they can write without typos. And you, they can put some good messages together. But does it really sound like your leader? We can tell. Psst, we can tell. Okay? We can really tell. So that actually does lead to the other point. Do they really have time to do it themselves? They may not, but let's go back to that research. The trust barometer from Edelman that says that your top tippy tippy top leaders probably aren't being authentically believed as credible and authentic from the masses that are out there that you're trying to attract. So if you do it, you really do need to have an executive who A, has the time to engage and write some of this for themselves, or at least be so close to their CorpCom people that they know their voice and it sounds authentic. But then also you've got to make sure that they have time to do the engaging and that everything sounds real 
you almost have to give them a double dose of authenticity to actually have the masses believe what they're they're saying. Otherwise, it's scroll, scroll, scroll. And as my friend Sheer Jones says, you're aiming for a scroll stopper. Scroll stoppers are authentic and not just spouting com- company news. Let's keep going. Leaders, has your social real estate been taken over by your brand? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Some people haven't thought about this. I had a real come to Jesus moment on my own handles when I was working for the big fortune nine. I was talking about the brand all the time. Brand, 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 brand. And you know what I discovered? I would get lots of engagement, but there were people from the brand. My community that I had fostered over the course of years was quiet. Sometimes they would cheer for me because, you know, maybe I was out speaking on behalf of the brand. They would cheer for me. But mostly they didn't understand some of the messages that I was sharing. They 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 didn't quite get it. They weren't in on it, right? But the minute I shifted and started to share content that was useful to them, despite what company they were from, I started to get not just engagement from my community, but my second and third layer communities. Think about that. Now, if the idea is talent attraction, that's one way to do it. Share useful information that's not always branded. They're not in on it. Okay, number five is for brands. What would happen if you channeled something other than 24-7 company news for your employees to share? (laughs) If you are using one of these platforms and you actually shared useful, what I just described, content that people in their communities could actually use, wouldn't that build brand affinity? And then lastly, and I'll get back to you guys on that number two question because for some reason it didn't get in there. How can you do employee advocacy so that it benefits all involved? Well, the great Ted Rubin, who's a marketing guru and a friend of mine, says you've got to absolutely brands provide your employees with useful content. And then the other thing that needs to happen is you need to leverage some of your employee generated content. Now, for some, that's blasphemy. (laughs) A lot of companies out there just want to use what comes from them. But the real reality of it is you can't keep up and understand what the communities actually need unless you're in touch with your employees who are in touch with their communities. See that? We talk a little bit, bit, John Graham and I, about how culture inside the company is a reflection of the culture outside of the company. And unless you're in touch with the cultures that your employees are in touch with, you're out of touch. So it's time for our deep dive. John Graham was originally on one of the early editions and episodes of the Culture Soup podcast that airs on Thursday. And we had this amazing conversation around employee advocacy, which spun out of a contributed article that I wrote for Black Enterprise. Ted Rubin was a part of it too, but we brought it to life on the Culture Soup podcast And I want you to hear from John because he has some very compelling things to say. 
stop right there with the idea of the Strong. internet and social media as a democracy. Oh. Mm. Oh. Ooh. I know, right? Hey. So if we're going to yeah. mix the culture of a corporation, which can't have a culture without the people, and the people right. are the carriers of that culture, but Super they don't fancy. exist in a bubble, they're a part of all these other cultures out there too. And you're saying you have to be in tune with the culture. Don't we have to democratize? Am I going to say that? Do we need to democratize? Let it out. Employee advocacy. This this uh, blasphemy you speak. I yes, love it. Yes. Um, you you do you do, and and that's that's the 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 push and the pull that companies are experiencing right now is they're realizing, you know, and I've seen it in in a couple of industries where they're realizing for the first time and however long their history is as a company that they can no longer rely on their good name to attract talent yeah. right and, and 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 that's because people have become entities unto themselves mm-hmm. through the democratization of the internet information yeah. social access all of that and so i i'd say to 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 the next generation right gen z coming up behind millennials there's a fourth option mm-hmm. and that's opting out completely yeah I don't need to uh, take on the debt instruments of a mortgage and go live in the suburbs to work at this company that's based in 30, 40 miles outside the metro area. I don't even have to go into this four-year institution and (laughs) go into debt. Right. I learned the code watching YouTube videos. And I can make money with my PayPal, my Square, my Stripe. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they, I mean, you're giving entrepreneurs at an early and earlier age. LinkedIn lowered the account age limit to 13 they did. because you're getting people, right? You're getting well, I kids. I can't wait to get Joni on. So, so to that point, this is the, this is the personal brand development that's happening before they even touch, right? The academic institutions mm-hmm. or institutions. And you as a, as a traditional model or industrial model, uh, evolved company have to compete with that now you know so so it's either you you figure out how to make influencers mm-hmm. from within your own organization yeah. or you continue to pay influencers from outside it and run the risk of lack of awesome well here's the other thing the influencers are becoming influencers anyway right that's true so let's put these companies at ease for a second thank you all right, that was a great <laughs> insight and tease. John will join me next month on the next episode of The Coaching Corner when he's feeling much better. Shout out to my frat brother, John Graham Jr. out there. Feel better, bro. In the meantime, we're going to talk about why people hate posting on LinkedIn because this is closely related to what we're talking about today. Employee advocacy has a lot to do with it, even if it's invisible and in the background. When I talk to people across the country, when I'm out speaking or even with my clients and they're talking about, oh, gee, I want to bone up my personal brand and get it amped up in a way that I can be found and the right opportunities are attracted to me. One of the things that they say they fear, fear people, fear is posting on social media. And it's not that they're out there swinging on poles or doing anything wrong or illegal or anything that would bring shame to the brands that they work for. They just know that LinkedIn and other places on social media can be a judgy, judgy 
place. So of the 13 reasons that people gave me, most of them were grounded in fear. And so when I'm working with clients, I have to ask them, what's the worst thing that can happen? What good could come out of this? And reframe their mindset so that they can get beyond the idea of the punishment or the backlash that, you know, sometimes it's very real. I've seen it where social media conversations have spilled over into workplaces. Um, and that's just, especially if the person is posting something that is useful, why should it matter? But this is what we're up against. Let's read some of these. Um, the first one I have, my colleagues and bosses are there watching and judging me. Yeah. You know, you want to be connected to your bosses. You want to be connected to your colleagues if they're making your life miserable at work over what you're posting on LinkedIn of all places. Something's wrong with the culture at work, not you. Um, you really need to think about this is your social real estate. This is your social capital. It has your name and your brand on it. So you need to decide how you're going to leverage it to forward your career, to forward your leadership goals. And at the end of the day, your next position, your next role isn't contingent upon those people. And then sometimes people have just made up in their head that their, their colleagues are judging them. Do they really even have any, <laughs> any real proof of it? Many of them don't. The other, I don't know what to say. Now that's kind of grounded in fear too, because many of the people that I'm talking to, these are experts in their fields. No matter what industry they might be in, they talk all day long, but yet and still they don't know what to say. Some of that has to do with understanding what your personal brand should stand for. And that's grounded in your story. For me, it's all about tech, culture, and business. Very simple. And within that, and within that intersection, there's leadership, there's marketing, there's inclusion. There, I can go on and on. But I stick to my three buckets. You may need to discover what your areas of expertise are, and they are not tied to your title. Your title is tied to those brand buckets. Does that make sense? Let's see another one. I do not know what to say. Oh, I do know what to say, but I have virtual stage fright. Again, fear. Um, I'm not an influencer, quote unquote. Why would I try to sound like one? Okay, this gets to the whole, oh gee, I don't want to talk into a camera. They say video's big. I need to be out there doing video. Um, some people are like, I need to be writing blogs. I have some ways that I share with my clients on how to engage on LinkedIn without even creating a bit of content. Did you hear me? <laughs> you can engage and be social on LinkedIn and other places without ever creating your own content. That should allay a lot of fears out there. But let me tell you, you're even more visible when you do. And Tristan Layfield said this so well, the career coach that I had on a couple um, months ago where he talked about it becomes your living archive, uh, like a, a living memoriam, if you will, of the way you think. So when employers are out there looking for you, business partners are looking for you. I met somebody at an event the other day, and when we exchanged cards, first thing he did was Google me, and he wrote to me right away, and he's like, oh my goodness, you're a heavyweight. 
and he was going by what he saw on Google, the content that I had created. So think about it. You do know what to say. And you know what? You probably need to start creating a little content. Doesn't have to be a podcast. Doesn't have to be a live broadcast. It could be something thoughtful, but within your personal brand buckets. Um, my peers don't do it. Why should I? Okay. I'm going to ask you like my mother asked me when I was probably about six years old. If your peers jumped off a cliff, would you know the end of that, right? <laughs> would you jump off the cliff too? You need to understand your own why. And your why is going to drive why you do anything in life that has nothing to do with your peers. So think about that. I'm not currently at a company. What would I say? Okay. <laughs> For those of you who are transitioning and you're in between jobs, if you haven't been social before, now's a really good time to get social. And then there's that whole thought that, well, I hadn't been social before. What will people think now that I am being social? Are they going to think, oh, gee, I don't have a job? Well, you don't have a job. Okay. It's kind of obvious. It's in your LinkedIn profile. What then will you do? Will you leverage this weapon of mass innovation to get you to your next space? Sometimes you just have to be a little bit bold and think about yourself. And then here's another one. Um, I'm not a blogger. Should I be? The answer again, no. <laughs> I have to be a blogger. It does help to have more than a couple of three lines to share every once in a while. However, I will also make available in the comments after this my cheat sheet for how to become social on LinkedIn without creating a single bit of content. And if that algorithm will love you and it will graduate you to be more visible. How about that? Now, how does that work together with your employee advocacy? I say it's balanced, just like with anything. You don't need to be too much one way and too much another way, especially if you're an employee. You need to be blending those three buckets and mostly unbranded content that is useful because by the way, your title shares your company affiliation. Does that help? All right. So um, that's really it. I want to wrap this. I want to tell you where to find us online at theculturesuit.com. On the internet, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Suit. You can follow me, find me online, lmichellesmith.com. We just did a, a refresh of the website. You'll probably enjoy it. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Speaks. On Facebook at Official. The Culture Suit Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.